Section eleven of Prefaces and Prologues to Famous Books. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bob Neufeld. Prefaces and Prologues to Famous Books. Edited by Charles W. Eliot. Preface to the History of the World by Sir Walter Raleigh. Part four but to return to them which denying that ever the world had any beginning with all deny that ever it shall have any end and to this purpose affirm that it was never heard never read never seen no not by any reason perceived that the heavens have ever suffered corruption or that they appear anyway the older by continuance or in any sort otherwise than they were which had they been subject to final corruption some change would have been discerned in so long a time to this it is answered that the little change as yet perceived doth rather prove their newness and that they have not continued so long than that they will continue for ever as they are and if conjectural arguments may receive answer by conjectures it then seemeth that some alteration may be found for either aristotle pliny strabo beda aquinas and others were grossly mistaken or else those parts of the world lying within the burnt zone were not in elder times habitable by reason of the sun's heat neither were the seas under the equinoctial navigable but we know by experience that those regions so situate are filled with people and exceeding temperate and the sea over which we navigate passable enough we read also many histories of deluges and how in the time of phaeton divers places in the world were burnt up by the sun's violent heat but in a word this observation is exceeding feeble for we know it for certain that stone walls of matter mouldering and friable have stood two or three thousand years that many things have been digged up out of the earth of that depth as supposed to have been buried by the general flood without any alteration either of substance or figure yea it is believed and it is very probable that the gold which is daily found in mines and rocks underground was created together with the earth and if bodies elementary and compounded in the eldest times have not invaded and corrupted what great alteration should we look for in celestial and quintessential bodies and yet we have reason to think that the sun by whose help all creatures are generate doth not in these latter stages assist nature as heretofore we have neither giants such as the eldest world had nor mighty men such as the elder world had but all things in general are reputed of less virtue which from the heavens receive virtue whence if the nature of a preface would permit a large discourse we might easily fetch store of proof as that this world shall at length have end as that once it had beginning and i see no good answer that can be made to this objection if the world were eternal why not all things in the world eternal if there were no first no cause no father no creator no incomprehensible wisdom but that every nature had been alike eternal and man more rational than every other nature why had not the eternal reason of man provided for his eternal being in the world for if all were equal why not equal conditions to all why should heavenly bodies live for ever and the bodies of men rot and die again who was it that appointed the earth to keep the centre 
and gave order that it should hang in the air, that the sun should travel between the tropics, and never exceed those bounds, nor fail to perform that progress once in every year, the moon to live by borrowed light, the fixed stars, according to common opinion, to be fastened like nails in a cartwheel, and the planets to wander at their pleasure. Or, if none of these had power over other, was it out of charity and love that the sun, by his perpetual travel within these two circles, hath visited, given light unto, and relieved all parts of the earth and the creatures therein, by terms and times? Out of doubt, if the sun have of his own accord kept this course in all eternity, he may justly be called eternal charity and everlasting love. The same may be said of all the stars who, being all of them most large and clear fountains of virtue and operation, may also be called eternal virtues, the earth may be called eternal patience, the moon an eternal borrower and beggar, and man of all other the most miserable eternal mortal. And what were this but to believe again in the old play of the gods, yea, in more gods by millions than ever Hesiodus dreamed of? But instead of this mad folly, we see it well enough with our feeble and mortal eyes, and the eyes of our reason discern it better, that the sun, moon, stars, and the earth are limited, bounded, and constrained. Themselves they have not constrained, nor could. Omne determinatum causum habet aliquam efficientem que illud determinaverit. Everything bounded hath some efficient cause by which it is bounded. Now for nature, as by the ambiguity of this name, the soul of Aristotle hath both commended many errors unto us, and sought also thereby to obscure the glory of the high moderator of all things, shining in the creation and in the governing of the world. So if the best definition be taken out of the second of Aristotle's physics, or primo de coelo, or out of the fifth of his metaphysics, I say that the best is but nominal, and serving only to difference the beginning of natural motion from artificial, which yet the academics open better when they call it a seminary strength infused into matter by the soul of the world, who gave the first place to providence, the second to fate, and but the third to nature providentia, by which they understand God, dux et caput, fatum medium ex providentia prodiens, natura prostremum. But be it what he will, or be it any of these, God excepted, or participating of all, yet that it hath choice or understanding, both of which are necessarily in the cause of all things, no man hath avowed. For this is unanswerable of Lactantius, Is autem facit aliquid, qui aut voluntatum faciende habet, aut scientiam. He can only be said to be the doer of a thing, that hath either will or knowledge in the doing it. But the will and science of nature are in these words truly expressed by Ficinus. Potest ubique natura, vel per diversa media, vel ex diversis materis, diversa facere, sublata vero materiatumque diversitate vel unicum vel similium operatur, neque potest quando adest materia non operare. It is the power of nature, by the diversity of means, or out of diversity of matter, to produce diverse things, 
but taking away the diversity of means and the diversity of matter it then works but one or the like work neither can it but work matter being present now if nature made choice of diversity of matter to work all these variable works of heaven and earth it had then both understanding and will it had counsel to begin reason to dispose virtue and knowledge to finish and power to govern without which all things had been but one and the same all the matter of heaven or all of the matter of earth and if we grant nature this will and this understanding this coarse reason and power cur natura potius quam deus nominetur why should we then call such a cause rather nature than god god of whom all men have notion and give the first and highest place to divine power omnes homines notionem deorum habent omnesque sumun locum divino quidam numini assignant and this i say in short that it is a true effect of true reason in man were there no authority more binding than reason to acknowledge and adore the first and most sublime power vera philosophia est absensus ab hisque fluunt et oriuntur et oxidunt ad eque vera sunt et semper eadem true philosophy is an ascending from the things which flow and arise and fall to the things that are forever the same for the rest i do also account it not the meanest but an impiety monstrous to confound god and nature be it but in terms for it is god that only disposeth of all things according to his own will and maketh of one earth vessels of honour and dishonour it is nature that can dispose of nothing but according to the will of the matter wherein it worketh it is god that commandeth all it is nature that is obedient to all it is god that doth good unto all knowing and loving the good he doth it is nature that secondarily doth also good but it neither knoweth nor loveth the good it doth it is god which is the father and hath begotten all things it is nature which is begotten by all things in which it liveth and laboreth for by itself it existeth not for shall we say that it is out of affection to the earth that heavy things fall towards it shall we call it reason which doth conduct every river into the salt sea shall we term it knowledge in fire that makes it to consume combustible matter if it be affection reason and knowledge in these by the same affection reason and knowledge it is that nature worketh and therefore seeing all things work as they do call it form or nature or by what you please yet because they work by an impulsion which they cannot resist or by a faculty infused by the supremest power we are neither to wonder at nor to worship the faculty that worketh nor the creature wherein it worketh but herein lies the wonder and to him is the worship due who hath created such a nature in things and such a faculty as neither knowing itself the matter wherein it worketh nor the virtue and power which it hath do yet work all things to their last and uttermost perfection and therefore every reasonable man taking to himself for a ground that which is granted by all antiquity and by all men truly learned that ever the world had to wit that there is a power infinite and eternal which also necessity doth prove unto us without the help of faith and reason 
without the force of authority, all things do easily follow which have been delivered by divine letters, as the waters of a running river do successfully pursue each other from the first fountains. This much I say it is that reason itself hath taught us, and this is the beginning of knowledge. Sapientia precedit religio sequitur, quia prius es deum sire, consequens colere. Sapiens goes before, religion follows, because it is first to know God, and then to worship him. This sapiens Plato calleth absoluti boni scientiam, the science of the absolute good, and another, scientiam rerum primarum sempiternarum perpetuarum. For faith, saith Isidore, is not extorted by violence, but by reason and examples persuaded. Fides nequaquam vi extorquetur, sed ratione et exemplis suadetur. I confess it, that to inquire further as to the essence of God, of his power, of his art, and by what means he created the world, or of his secret judgment and the causes, is not an effect of reason, sed cum ratione insaniunt, but they grow mad with reason that inquire after it. For as it is no shame, no dishonour, saith a French author, de faire arrête au but qu'on nasque surpassé, for a man to rest himself there where he finds it impossible to pass on further, so whatsoever is beyond and out of the reach of true reason, it acknowledged it to be so, as understanding itself not to be infinite, but according to the name and nature it hath, to be a teacher that best knows the end of his own art. For seeing both reason and necessity teach us, reason, which is pars divini spiritus in corpus humanum mercy, that the world was made by a power infinite, and yet how it was made it cannot teach us, and seeing the same reason and necessity make us know that the same infinite power is everywhere in the world, and yet how everywhere it cannot inform us, our belief hereof is not weakened, but greatly strengthened by our ignorance, because it is the same reason that tells us that such a nature cannot be said to be God that can be in all conceived by man. I have already been over long to make any large discourse either of the parts of the following story, or in mine own excuse, especially in the excuse of this or that passage, seeing the whole is exceeding weak and defective. Among the grossest, the unsuitable division of the books, I could not know how to excuse had I not been directed to enlarge the building after the foundation was laid and the first part finished. All men know that there is no great art in the dividing evenly of these things, which are subject to number and measure. For the rest, it suits well enough with a great many books of this age, which speak too much and yet say little. Ipsi nobis furto subducimur. We are stolen away from ourselves, setting a high price on all that is our own. But hereof, though a late good writer may complaint, yet shall it not lay hold on me. Because I believe as he doth, that whoso thinks himself the wisest man is but a poor and miserable ignorant. Those that are the best men of war against all the vanities and fooleries of the world, do always keep the strongest guards against themselves, to defend them from themselves from self-love, self-estimation, and self-opinion. Generally, considering the order of the work, I have only taken counsel from the argument. 
for of the Assyrians, which, after the downfall of Babel, take up the first part, and were the first great kings of the world, there came little to the view of posterity. Some few enterprises, greater in fame than faith, of Ninus and Semiramis, excepted. It was the story of the Hebrews, of all before the Olympiads, that overcame the consuming disease of time, and preserved itself from the very cradle and beginning to this day. And yet not so entire, but that the large discourses thereof, to which in many scriptures we have referred, are nowhere found. The fragments of other stories, with the actions of those kings and princes which shot up here and there in the same time, I am driven to relate by way of digression, of which we may say, with Virgil, Aperant rarenantes in gurgite vasto. They appear here and there, floating in the great gulf of time. To the same first ages do belong the report of many inventions therein found, and from them derived to us, though most of the author's names have perished in so long a navigation. For these ages had their laws, they had diversity of government, they had kingly rule, nobility, policy in war, navigation, and all or the most of needful trades. To speak therefore of these, seeing in a general history we should have left a great deal of nakedness by their omission, it cannot properly be called a digression. True it is that I have made also many others, which, if they shall be laid to my charge, I must cast a fault into the great heap of human error. For seeing we digress in all the ways of our lives, yea, seeing the life of man is nothing else but digression, I may the better be excused in writing their lives and actions. I am not altogether ignorant in the laws of history and of the kinds. The same hath been taught by many, but no man better and with greater brevity than by that excellent learned gentleman, Sir Francis Bacon. Christian laws are also taught us by the prophets and apostles, and every day preached unto us. But we still make large digressions. Yea, the teachers themselves do not, in all, keep the path which they point out to others. For the rest, after such time as the Persians had wrested the empire from the Chaldeans, and had raised a great monarchy, producing actions of more importance than were elsewhere to be found, it was agreeable to the order of the story to attend this empire whilst it so flourished that the affairs of the nations adjoining had reference thereunto. The like observance was to be used towards the fortunes of Greece, when they again began to get ground upon the Persians, as also towards the affairs of Rome, when the Romans grew more mighty than the Greeks. As for the Medes, the Macedonians, the Sicilians, the Carthaginians, and other nations who resisted the beginnings of the former empires, and afterwards became but parts of their composition and enlargement, it seemed best to remember what was known of them from their several beginnings, in such times and places as they in their flourishing estates opposed these monarchies, which in the end swallowed them up. And herein I have followed the best geographers who seldom give names to those small brooks whereof many join together make great rivers, till such times as they become united and run in mainstream to the ocean sea. If the phrase be weak and the style not everywhere like itself, the first shows their legitimation and true parent, the second will excuse itself upon the variety of matter. For Virgil, who wrote his eclogues Gracili Avena, used stronger pipes when he sounded the wars of Aeneas, 
it may also be laid to my charge that i use diverse hebrew words in my first book and elsewhere in which language others may think and i myself acknowledge it that i am altogether ignorant but it is true that some of them i find in montanus others in latin characters in s senensis and of the rest i have borrowed the interpretation of some of my friends but say i had been holding to neither yet were it not to be wondered at having had an eleven years leisure to attain the knowledge of that or any other tongue howsoever i know that it will be said by many that i might have been pleasing to the reader if i had written the story of mine own times having been permitted to draw water as near the well-head as another to this i answer that whosoever in writing a modern history shall follow truth too near the heels it may haply strike out his teeth there is no mistress or guide that hath led her followers and servants into greater miseries he that goes after her too far off loseth her sight and loseth himself and he that walks after her at a middle distance i know not whether i should call that kind of coarse temper or baseness it is true that i never travelled after men's opinions when i might have made the best use of them and i have now too few days remaining to imitate those that either out of extreme ambition or out of extreme cowardice or both do yet when death hath them on his shoulders flatter the world between the bed and the grave it is enough for me being in that state i am to ride of the eldest time wherein also why may it not be said that in speaking of the past i point at the present and tax the vices of those that are yet living in their persons that are long since dead and have it laid to my charge but this i cannot help though innocent and certainly if there be any that finding themselves spotted like the tigers of old time shall find fault with me for painting them over anew they shall therein accuse themselves justly and me falsely for i protest before the majesty of god that i malice no man under the sun impossible i know it is to please all seeing few or none are so pleased with themselves or so assured of themselves by reason of their subjection to their private passions but that they seem diverse persons in one and the same day seneca hath said it and so do i unus mihi pro populo erat and to the same effect epicurus hoc ego non multis si tibi or as it hath since lamentably fallen out i may borrow the resolution of an ancient philosopher satis est unus satis est nullus for it was for the service of that inestimable prince henry the successive hope and one of the greatest of the christian world that i undertook this work it pleased him to peruse some part thereof and to pardon what was amiss it is now left to the world without a master from which all that is presented hath received both blows and thanks eadum probamus eadum preprehendimus hic exitus est omnis judiciae in quolis secundum plures datur but these discourses are idle i know that as the charitable will judge charitably so against those qui gloriantur in malitia my present adversity hath disarmed me i am on the ground already and therefore have not far to fall and for rising again as in the natural privation there is no recession to habit so it is seldom seen in the privation politic 
I do therefore forbear to style my readers gentle, courteous, and friendly, thereby to beg their good opinions, or to promise a second and third volume, which I also intend, if the first receive grace and good acceptance. For that which is already done may be thought enough, and too much. And it is certain, let us claw the reader with never so many courteous phrases, yet shall we evermore be thought fools that write foolishly. For conclusion, all the hope I have lies in this, that I have already found more ungentle and uncourteous readers of my love towards them, and well-deserving of them, than ever I shall do again. For had it been otherwise, I should hardly have had this leisure to have made myself a fool in print. End of section 11 End of Preface to the History of the World by Sir Walter Raleigh